0: back to Steam Powered Scoundrels, a Malifaux podcast. Fluff Feature, Chronicles number two.
1: I'm uh, drinking straight whiskey right now, so,
0: you know. Oh, what kind? Uh, it's uh, white whiskey, Big Jake. Oh, nice. Okay. I have my Irish coffee with freshly whipped homemade whipped cream. That freshly Eli Whipped. Made. whipped. Yep. Turns out just throw some some whipping cream into ye old KitchenAid and let it go while you make coffee Well yeah I, I figure drinking some some whiskey or whatever and while talking about stories is true to form for good writing everybody knows you have to be a little off your rocker to write Also gotta be a little weird and off your rocker to listen to weird stories
1: uh it's a good thing I'm not on a rocker I'm on my uh, on my office chair ah so you're more on a roller yes okay i'm on a roll as you will and that's why we call you butter but victoria is the victoria of butters
0: well that means she's the victoria of you so she i guess corrals you she she should really do a better job at that (laughs) historically speaking It's, oh, shit! It's either that or she weaponizes you. One of the two. Mm, I think that might be more what she's going for. That's what it really is. Weaponize Nathans. Mm.
1: Terrifying, to be yeah. sure.
0: Almost as terrifying as leaving us in charge of about half the episodes going forward.
1: All right, that seems foolish.
0: Which is why, dear listener, you have just the two of us here today. Uh, myself being Roman, and the other one over here being Nate.
1: We can make it if we try, just the two of us.
0: <laughs> you and I. But yeah, so we are deciding to try something a little different today. We, are, we have recently listened to uh, Chronicles number two in the Breachside broadcast. Chronicles number one is the kind of general malefo background of, you know, the breach opening and earth losing all kinds of magic. And so we open the breach and find out about the magic battery rocks and the breach closes. And we come back after the war and it opens again, go listen to that. If you're new to the world, uh, we thought that would be, it, it's greatly informing, uh, but we figured we will be touching on that in relation to the new uh, fluff found in From Nightmares, which covers all that and way more, wonderfully, mm. from the Neverborn side of things. So we didn't want to touch on that too close to one another. Uh, so we listened to Chronicles number two, who, which is by uh, who, uh,
1: Nate? That was uh, Brian Emick, uh, and that is the story Seamus and the Ortegas. Excellent. In which uh,
0: we recommend, first off, going to listen to that, or else everything we're talking about other than the strange interactions between nate and myself will just be really weird for the rest of this
1: episode so pause go listen to that there will be spoilers yeah aka aka the whole thing this this whole thing is spoilers yes indeed before before we go too far i did i did have a couple notes about because i I went back and re-listened to that first chronicles episode um just just for curiosity because i hadn't listened to it in a while and while yeah it is just like Covering number no- number five of like the base. This is how we got to this point of Malifaux. I found it really amusing because I haven't hadn't thought about it a while. The um the post forest denotion for um noting years in Malifaux that they tried to do, um that has been completely dropped at this point because it's like normal Earth years. So, <laughs> but I I applaud the effort to try to create their own um notation for the timeline but i i definitely understand why they dropped it
0: (laughs) i that's a good point i honestly hadn't remembered them doing that i I remembered the fluff being like you know this many years after the breach to give context but i i totally
1: forgot that that was a separate notation they tried yeah and yeah it, it it makes more sense that they would just use regular time it gives a better sense of like relevancy i guess to normal people but Again, I applaud. I applaud the effort to create your own notation, but it just didn't work.
0: Are you suggesting normal people play this game?
1: Eh, I don't know about all that. That's a that's a bold statement.
0: <laughs> Let's see how many more of those we can get in here. Anyway, so jumping into Seamus and the Ortegas, kind of my my thought upon listening to this is this is a very unusual pairing as far as the fluff elsewhere like the ortegas they actually go so far in later uh stories especially in the like kind of core books i'm just going to call them the rule books even though not all of them actually have rules per se in them going forward uh like the the rule book fluff they go so far as to say, "Hey, the Ortegas are often out of the city because they're dealing with Neverborn." In this one, the Ortegas are dealing with with Seamus, and he's not the reason they're there. But that's an interesting pairing.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really kind of Seamus' fault. But yeah, they're definitely after Killjoy as the the monster they're going to hunt. But yeah, I really like I like Seamus paired up against Perdita, and having it played as you know. You're, you're two gunslingers, because, you know, Seamus is, in his own way, a gunslinger. A gunslinger of one very large bullet at a time. <laughs> but a gunslinger. Also, I want to note, and I'm looking at the, uh, the actual PDF of the Chronicle. First edition Seamus had some platform shoes. <laughs> <laughs> like, the actual heels and soles of these boots are almost as big as his head. Wow, uh, so I, I I like this. I like this look. Yeah, well, and I don't have. I'm
0: I am not the history connoisseur that Doug is, but I do know like more Victorian or Elizabethan times. Like heels were originally male fashion because that was how you got on your horse and didn't have your legs slip through your stirrup and everything. And it it got more blown out of proportion for fashion sense too so it, that's really interesting it almost it almost makes him a fop as far as a character
1: goes what no way <laughs> Sheamus? foppish turns out quite the accusation sir well
0: i'll just make sure i don't go in any uh dark alleys in the near future but yeah i i definitely gotta dig and i gotta big kick out of seeing Seamus kind of as the gunslinger versus Perdita's more classical gunslinger here.
1: Although I I, I give you a big kick with these shoes.
0: (laughs) And I want to point out in fairly quickly, like we, we kind of to set the stage for everybody who for some reason didn't go back and and listen to the episode. Like we told you repeatedly, (laughs) uh, you kind of have both of these parties entering this small town, this it's not a farming town.
1: It's described as a ghost town, so it's okay. presumably some kind of frontier yeah. settlement that just didn't work out. Because Malifaux, bad things happen. Exactly. You, you have your timeline. You
0: have your your previously a boom town setting, uh, and they both enter it, and they're both looking for Killjoy, and they fairly quickly get into a situation where Seamus is shooting at them. But I would like to point out for it being a like breach or not a breach, a, uh, a muzzle loading pistol. Like he narrative time loads that sucker pretty fast. Cause he gets a couple <laughs> shots off at them in the time it takes. They're in the middle of a street. His first target goes down, uh, with a shot in the shoulder. And in the time it takes someone else to rush out to, to, I think it's Papa, isn't it? Yeah. Uh,
1: that sounds about right. Yeah. I, I
0: historically have a hard time keeping the Ortegas straight. Or for no, I think reason. I think
1: he shot he shot Papa first.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He shoots Papa. Papa goes down, and then uh, Santiago runs out. Santiago, yeah. And and in the and think of this as I'm, I'd like to think of this as a movie. As I'm reading it, in the narrative time it takes him to get out there and you know dramatically go Papa no and and like hold on to him and start <laughs> dragging him away. Seamus has reloaded and
1: shot again. <laughs> Which I did. Lo- I did love the really dramatic scene of like I don't remember who it was holding Papa, and then he just like wakes up and like get the fuck off me. I'm okay. Yeah, no, that's I only that's... got shot in the shoulder.
0: <laughs> uh, to note here, Papa is is from the internal monologue of his his children. Papa is already loco. He just doesn't have a straitjacket jacket yet, um, and this pretty immediately he gets shot by Seamus here. Uh, but with that mention this story does a really good job of showing the kind of internal sibling monologue of the Ortegas and kind of how that works into their, for lack of a better word, tactics in so much as they don't discuss what the plan is. They just go and kind of know what each other's going to do. They, they feel like if not a well-oiled machine uh, they feel like, they at least know what the hell the machine does, and they expect there will be some kind of trouble, but they'll get out of it. It'll be fine.
1: Yeah, like they they have a plan. They've they've run this kind of scenario, like maybe not this exact scenario, obviously, but they've run a scenario of you know someone is you know hunting someone else, and we got to split up and do our thing. And it, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and that uh,
0: was honestly a really cool as it switches over to Seamus's internal monologue this is one of the the few times i can think of where they actually internally show one of the rezzer masters commanding their zombies without using necessarily verbal cues he does it some like but that's just seamus being crazy referring to them and saying hey go here but especially early on in this firefight he just kind of it's described as he like internally focuses on them and just kind of directs them to spread out and go flank the Ortegas, which again, just super interesting to, to see that narratively to me overall, again, they kind of make this a a take on a, an old Western shootout on main street, other than they're not innately facing one another. After the initial couple shots from Seamus, Perdita goes out and makes a really badass showing of yes, I'm just going to pull down my hat so I can't even see more than like five feet in front of me. I I could not meet the eyes of someone standing in conversational distance, and like moves an inch to the left as Seamus fires another really quickly reloaded for a muzzle loading uh, black powder <laughs> gun shot. Uh, like it it. It whips through her hair over her shoulder. That's how close yeah. this
1: is. And she just kind of shifts. The Yeah, the absolute drama of the situation is played really well. Yeah. Um, and I liked how, especially like going on the Western narrative, I like how it's Seamus who's kind of making the mental notes like, all right, Perdita didn't hit me because the sun was in her eyes. I should probably get going. I'm not going to win a straight-up fight.
0: <laughs> yeah. It very... It showcases his kind of sneaky low cunning that he has mm. which is honestly his his best weapon i think uh but as we get into later stories where it's not necessarily moving around as a close second person or a close third person rather uh you don't necessarily get as much of that n- close to but not quite internal monologue so seeing more of this was very interesting to me uh, narratively speaking
1: yeah, it was yeah, it was really interesting how often they would take they would go to internal monologue with characters cuz it seems to be a style that's been moved away from at least for weird.
0: Well, and I I'm interested to see, assuming like people like this episode and we keep doing it. I'm interested to see moving th- through more chronicles to more current stuff if that stays or at least is is more apparent in the chronicles versus in the rule book stories because the rule book stories tend to be here's a a character here's a a keyword as we would think of them in third edition meet them they go on an adventure you see what they do uh and then the first time you meet them anyway and then later on it's more this is a much broader uh stakes kind of situation if not shown in a given story you'll see it as it has ripples elsewhere uh, versus this one. It really did feel more like the, the, you You could notate this out as a game of Malifaux. This was a, yeah. a self-contained encounter. Yeah. Which I, I have a couple, I like that for several reasons and I'll, we can touch on them a little later, but the, I'm interested to see if that holds true going forward, or if they kind of also pull back the camera, quote unquote, for a wider spread of uh, stakes as the world itself gets bigger, excuse me, within the
1: game. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of that's going to be dependent on author as well. You know, writing style is going to make a big deal of that. Oh, for sure. But also, yeah, like, like, as you're saying, like, as the world gets bigger, like actually looking at the Chronicle, like seeing some of these coming soon,s like the original judge and death marshals in metal as a coming soon. It really is kind of a blast from the past. Yeah. (laughs) Nephilim available now for the first time. Oof. That is. It is. It's a nostalgia for something I really wasn't there for. But it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's and almost it's, like it's reading really, a history book.
1: Yeah, it, it's very much like a time capsule and very cool to see, just looking back at it.
0: Very cool. Yeah, for for anybody who doesn't know us, Nate and I both got into the game uh, second edition right around the uh, wave two. Yeah. So, yeah, this a lot of these stories uh, will be new for us, too.
1: Yeah, I don't. I I hadn't read any of these. The only ones I know of are the ones that I've heard so far through the the Breachside broadcast, and I, I definitely look forward to trying to catch up on some of these because they're yeah. There's, a, there's definitely a lot more background that I feel is untapped by the average person because I know in general, like the average person doesn't go out and download the Weird Chronicles, which you should because they're free on Drive Through RPG. So yes, so if you're looking for more stuff, there's always more stuff to be had. Yeah,
0: I. I personally, as someone who loves the the narrative behind any game I play, and that really brings it to life for me, uh, I would tried a couple of the when when Chronicles was still coming out actively. I had tried a couple of them, and the ones I had read, I enjoyed, but I have trouble sinking into a narrative reading it on a like digital screen. Yeah. So that I love that they're adding it to the the podcast because that I can you know throw on and paint to and just really dig into. And and I like the idea of doing these because as we've seen with Star Wars and Marvel relatively recently, uh, it turns out while you get big sweeping stories in movies, you get more of a texture and a lived-in feel by having ultimately more time with the characters in shows.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree.
0: So yeah, I I feel like this essentially you, you're going to get the main the a plot as it were, in the rule book stories. These are going to be your your side quest your. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say like less important characters, but your your less big
1: name characters. I imagine as we go on. I mean, given given the setting and given what it is, I mean, you could definitely say less important characters. Like <laughs> maybe not in maybe not in this actual case, but like. In some stories, yeah, it's it's going to be a literal less important character to the overall narrative of Malfo. Yeah, like not not everybody is you know a, you know Captain Dashel or Perdita Ortega or Seamus or Nicodem. rest in peace, Sis. <laughs> yes, rest in pieces. Yeah, I
0: I agree. Sometimes you gotta have you know Guild Guard twenty four. And uh, Union Miner Three B, yeah, exactly. But I, I, but by making those actual people, I feel like that's really cool. Uh, always makes me think of stuff like in I think it's Dreamer's first story, where you're you're actually introduced to it by following the the propagandist yep. uh, through the mountains, and Dreamer just yeah, shows up that. and you know makes play of a starts an art messing gallery. with him. Yeah, I have no clue who propagandist guy is. I know they gave him our name, but to see a quote unquote regular person suddenly have to deal with Dreamer and fairly quickly puts it together of, oh, this isn't just a small child in the woods. I've heard stories of this. Yeah. I am shitting my pants right now.
1: Yeah, especially where someone like Dreamer is concerned giving you the point of view of a regular having to deal with his powers as opposed to trying to make you sympathize with the dreamer. At least to start, like, you can you can move to the, a different angle eventually, but just starting off with, you're a normal dude. This is a toddler with near-infinite power. Ah. <laughs> yep.
0: And what's more important, you
1: realize this. What do you do? Yep.
0: And... <laughs> And I think the, one of the things that made me think of, of going through this is I've been thinking of starting up a Through the Breach game in the house. Uh, which, the last time I tried doing that, I had a little issue, I realized, of the way I think of Malifaux is based around the Masters, because I'm used to playing the game. If you put a, a faded character, a PC for anybody who's playing any other RPG... If you put a crew of them together and say, go deal with this master, they
1: will get steamrolled. Yeah. Because of the, the, the way the system masters, works. masters and through the breach are not to be trifled with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, essentially
0: the way that works. And if you haven't looked into through the breach, I highly recommend it. It is a, a fun system, especially for kind of more narrative storytelling. Not everything is is fighting. Not everything is solved by fighting. In fact, you can usually make it a lot more interesting if you solve things without fighting. It's great. Um, but you essentially everything that is a, a fate master character, an NPC uh, is auto flips a card of a certain value. They never actually flip cards. You just go, this is what they are. Masters flip 13s. (laughs) Uh, So good luck doing anything to them or dodging them consistently. Uh, And that was what was, I understood that when I started running that game. But getting into that mindset of these PCs are still people. How do I, I needed to change the kind of bar I had set of what i expected them to deal with or how i expected them to interact with the world at a certain level
1: yeah you have to you have to break that mental block of yes there are other people in malifaux that aren't you know the masters
0: yeah you you have to if you going by the metaphor i had earlier of the rule book stories with the masters or camera pulled out to see a wider picture something like that you need to zoom in and even though this story is dealing with two masters and we actually looked at this, this is literally a game played by uh, their uh, starter boxes minus totems, because this is a first edition story and
1: totems. the yeah. Thing then. Yeah. It's uh, definitely, I, I mean, totems were eventually a thing, but not when the boxes first came out, but yeah, this definitely, this definitely plays as just like, here's Seamus's box. Here's Perdita's box. Look at that. <laughs> They're doing yeah. things.
0: And then halfway through the game, somebody wanders up and goes, yeah, here's Killjoy in the middle of the table. Uh, Here's a quick rule of he will try and attack anybody who's closest to him. Have fun. It really could. I'm I'm honestly fairly certain this does have a encounter, like a, a story encounter that you can play that sets up like this. And if not, you could write one in about 10 minutes, if not less.
1: As I say, there's not one in the book, but yeah, you could definitely, you could definitely easily write something up to do like a demo, a demo encounter or, um, like a, yeah, a little narrative encounter, which would be fun. Yeah.
0: Um, I need to go back and look through the, uh, the story encounter deck from 2E. I think that's where I'm getting this thought. Anyway, I'll do that later. Um, but yeah, no, apart from the fact that this is two masters, like because this is such a, a zoomed in story as far as stakes goes, I was listening to this and just immediately thinking, yeah, this could be an, an RPG encounter. No problem, uh, which was really cool and is definitely getting my my Fate Master brain wheels spinning for that one, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, anyways so, we have we have digressed. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're talking
1: but anyway, what was your next point? Uh, shit, where were we? Um, oh, yeah, we were talking about the, the drama of the situation, the showdown between Perdita and Sheamus, and then they all split up and do this, you know, exemplify what it is to be a small skirmish
0: game. But yeah, so they end up running around, and then we we kind of cut to Francisco, who's trying to do the same thing the bells are doing to the ortegas of of get around and flank them. Uh and he's he's a stone cold badass like I've I've dealt with Francisco too much on the table facing me last edition to like him. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh he he's a stone cold badass just immediately I mean- starts trying to take out this bell that jumps him. Uh but and this was a nice touch. Again, the ortegas hunt nephilim He's very clearly trying to shoot like he's trying to wear down a large living thing. He's just taking whatever shots he can, and very quickly realizes because the bell doesn't care, he needs to adjust his aim towards more headshots.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. It's a good moment, and I I agree. I have the same like gut reaction to Francisco, but just in character, he is. Fucking pretty badass, actually, and and a genuinely good dude from all, for all accounts.
0: Yeah, fluff wise, he's awesome. Like,
1: like f- by all, by all accounts, like Francisco seems like a dude to grab a beer with and be like, be chill. Yeah. But anyway, that goes poorly for him.
0: Uh, he it it ends up being fairly quickly. Seamus collects Papa Francisco and Santiago, has them held hostage, and essentially sticks his head out the door of the building he's in to tell Perdita, Hey, I'm, I'm here to parlay. Uh, and Nino and Perdita are like trap, trap, but go, go in and anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, essentially he says, take your, your family and get out. I don't care about you. I'm here for Killjoy." And then we are, two-thirds of the way through the story and, and Killjoy finally emerges in spectacular, murderous, Kool-Aid man fashion.
1: Before we get there, I I really, I really liked, I liked this negotiation scene a lot. Yeah. Especially because of how how it explored Seamus as a character. Because he, he keeps up this, you know, this facade of, you know, the foppish Mad Hatter character. I've got, you know, I've got your family on the line. You know, fear me. I'm, I'm big and scary. And like, Perdita and Nino are absolutely calling him on his bluff, and he just he drops the facade and he just starts getting real pissy about it. And I <laughs> I, I I liked that view of him as like, all right, the, the they're not they're not going for the act. They're not going to play in like like I, it's it's very much a like a Batman Joker relationship with him and Lady Justice. Like I imagine he has fun messing with Justice, but like the Ortegas just aren't playing the game like he wants to play it. Yeah, And it, he's getting very upset about it.
0: Yeah, it, it's like if Superman goes in and just doesn't care what Joker's doing and Joker's like, well, you're no fun and then just runs yeah, this away. Isn't, this isn't
1: cool. Yeah. But yeah, then uh, Killjoy cool Ma- Kool-Aid Man's in. <laughs> it was weird. I like how... I want to know if there's some kind of tie with Papa Loco because like, Papa Loco just knew that Killjoy was there. And that was a, that was a neat... That was a neat moment. I don't know if it means anything or if it's just insanity calling to insanity in malafel. Well, and I—that's a good point. It
0: could be insanity, or it could be whatever rumors there are about Perdita's heritage. Mm-hmm. It could be now that we know that Killjoy is in fact a Neverborn, specifically Fey, and we still don't know like, where the, the never-born in Perdita's family tree starts, or... If there is any. <laughs> I'm gonna go with yes. But yeah. Based based on her flying steed that we haven't seen in a minute, but...
1: You know. Well, I mean, at this point in the story, it doesn't exist yet.
0: Yeah, that's true. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, either way, I there's a... That is a, a nice little moment that... I don't even know if we we might be reading too far into that, but I think that's a good call out on your part.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't even know if it meant anything, but I just I really liked it as Papa Loco being the one like he's here, yeah, or whatever whatever he said in that moment. I really liked it. Uh, let me see if I can, let me see if I can find it. Hold on, uh, James up to the counter. Uh, we'll have a little fun with them. I know it's ah, there it is. The creature is coming. <laughs> yep, that is.
0: That is that that's not I smell it I I feel Oh wait the... no wait
1: no 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 hold on hold on I had that wrong That was Nino
0: Oh
1: but that oh, yeah, that no, makes cause he... sense cuz Nino's a hunter Yeah he he right cuz he goes into the okay. into
0: the room walks I miss I and...
1: misheard or read that and I thought I thought it was Papa but it was Nino I like that I like that yeah. too actually
0: Okay scrap everything we just said but again just by the fact that we had that a little wrong look at the the texture that that added to the wider world or really this specific aspect of it. That would never be something that you would necessarily get in a bigger story or a, a movie necessarily when you have to watch for, for time. This is a side quest.
1: Yeah. It's very, it's very episodic. It, mm-hmm. it, it reads very episodically.
0: Yeah. But I, I agree. Like you get Nino walking in as they have the other three uh, men, basically, if you move wrong, we're going to kill them. And he's just, he doesn't care. He walks in, kind of does this, this Aragorn looking for lost hobbits moment of, I'm going to reach down and touch the floor and go, Oh no, it, it's right over there. Uh, we should move.
1: <laughs> right
0: yeah. And, and meanwhile, Seamus is sitting there going two feet to the left, two feet to the left. Cause of course it's a trap, um, which, and this is what I thought was great. And, and really blends in with the idea of you could make that you could plot this out on the game board and do this Uh, because as Killjoy comes in and Seamus realizes he's fighting a war on two fronts that he can't win and and ducks out as Seamus does um, and the Ortegas start dealing with Killjoy. Killjoy ends up on the spot in the floor that Seamus was waiting for them, which Busts bust through the floor, brings down part of a load-bearing pillar and part of the roof. To me, that immediately is like someone just declared a scheme. <laughs> Shame is clearly put a scheme marker down on that part of the floor and was waiting for Perdita or someone to get there so he could declare his scheme and get his points. In this case, yeah. points being bullets in their
1: head. Yeah, it's and that's that's definitely like I'd say I'd say a a, a good. What's the wrong I guess I guess a good win for like the the flavor of Malfo and the schemes in general is is that you can you could see it in these narrative moments. And I, I think that's something that we don't think about often enough.
0: Yeah. I I know whenever we see a new gaining grounds, like the second thing I do after reading through the new strats and schemes is start to think of how this would work narratively. And I for whatever <laughs> reason, I find that helps me remember what the hell of course it does you fucking nerd (laughs) no argument here um but i I, I find that helps me remember oh right for this one i need this to happen for this one i need this to happen because clearly if you have detonate charges you need the bombs near each other
1: right obviously
0: yeah um yeah this this could have been (laughs) it's
1: why it's why runic binding works so well fluff wise but is you know rather difficult Hey, that all depends on what, <laughs> what keywords you play. I
0: keep saying, cause I will take that and I will get points on it. And anybody else that thinks that it's just the worst scheme ever try something different. Uh, but yeah, so I, I definitely see that as a bit of a either detonate charges perhaps without the, the bombs, you know, maybe more of a, a prepare trap version of detonate charges or really M2E setup. my old favorite. Um, but eventually you, you get to the point where the Ortegas get away after emptying multiple guns into Killjoy and and blinding him and maiming him and everywhere else. And he just kind of sits down and he's sad and hungry. Um, yeah, and it was, it was kind of tragic. Like you, you jump in to finish the story in what from the outside looks like this mindless murderous
1: mountain of flesh. Yeah, it's it's very it's very much like a internal monologue of like Solomon Grundy or some shit. Yeah. I, I was gonna like, go with like Eeyore but more Killy. Right, but like it's this it's this like monster that either can't or won't speak, or presumably speaks Neverborn. It's just this absolute monster that is like fed, you know, exists on hunger alone. And then you get this moment, this whole like last paragraph that's like from his internal monologue and it's really eloquent if savage but eloquent and it's 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 really interesting especially since like it we know he's a fae now like he's this this ancient fae that's been tainted with necromancy that's been like existing and it's just it's really interesting. It's a really interesting look into Killjoy that you like like you've said, you wouldn't see on a bigger outer scale of the Malafo world in general.
0: Yeah, because especially in Second Ed, he was just a, a big angry dude that you hired into your crew to kill stuff.
1: I mean, that's even still what he is now, but like you just you don't get that you don't get that internal monologue. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that, just narratively speaking. It was really, really interesting. And I, I, I think I missed it the first time I listened to this, and listening to it again, and really kind of considering it kind of put a new light on Killjoy, and I like it a lot. Yeah.
0: I completely agree. Um, I don't know, any any weaknesses you find to the story?
1: Personally, uh, I mean, it, it's a good story. Don't get me wrong, but it... it it reads like a war game story. Like it suffers a bit of narrative convenience and there's definitely like plot armor on the Ortega side of things, which is hard to avoid. A lot of that I think was helped with Seamus, like naming the bells that Nino and um, someone else killed one of the bells. Francisco. Francisco killed one of the bells and he, he dropped their names and I think I think that helped a lot with Seamus actually dropping names, but like, you know, you know the big named characters aren't gonna get killed. You know they're gonna be fine. Um and there's a bit of a loose end, and we didn't really cover it, but Seamus had some grand purpose with trying to go after Killjoy. Like obviously the, the Ortegas are after Killjoy because he's a menace monster troubling humanity. That's their job. Seamus like, wanted to destroy Killjoy for some reason and it never gets addressed and I don't know if it ever does get addressed. I doubt it ever will, but if it ever did come back up, I would be very interested, especially in, you know, our current third edition state where Killjoy's back as a, as a emissary of the Fey. I think, I think whatever Seamus's purpose was here. Presumably driven by the whisper, is uh, could have some weight to it, and I would I would challenge Weird to maybe readdress it. Yeah,
0: I agree there. That could be, that could be an interesting move on whatever cosmic chessboard the plot is yeah. moving on.
1: Especially driving Seamus as a defender of humanity would be really, really quite the twist at this point.
0: Well, and, and, and that actually leads into, or feeds into what he's did in, I guess that was the end of, uh, of first edition. Cause he's the one that's leading Sonia around by the nose by scrawling filthy limericks on the old like, <laughs> runes on the walls. So he's, he's already kind of doing that, leading her to like
1: trap Sharoufe. Yeah. Um, and so, in the end, it, of course, probably all feeds back into the whispers' desires, but of the grave spirit. Yeah, but
0: yeah, layers on layers. That's definitely an interesting uh, way to do. I know if I morally gray. Yeah, if I was without that conversation, my thought was, I don't know. Maybe Seamus wants to get into his avatar form soon and wants to use Killjoy like a like a suit.
1: Yeah, maybe, but. Like again, like he he mentioned a couple times that he his goal was to destroy Killjoy. How many? And he didn't he didn't seem to imply that he wanted to rise Killjoy as his own. Yeah. So whether there's some untapped power if you actually manage to kill Killjoy, maybe who knows? Yeah, or th- maybe I if
0: Killjoy's. I don't know. Killjoy could be a leftover of some ancient Fey ritual that was had some final string of power that was holding something else back maybe
1: i i almost wonder if especially like given the alt that we have for killjoy the autumn night or that not autumn night the uh, the silent night like i wonder if that is like original killjoy before he has become what he is today that's just a side a side thought but i think it i think it fits yeah i'm and i don't want to get
0: too far into this yet but based on what i've read of the from, the from nightmares fluff
1: i could see that uh-huh like it, it may it just it makes a ton of sense just releasing a version of killjoy that fits the theme better because that's what he was yeah and now he's just this this beast that feeds because, you know, he lost, his, he lost his direction and is maddened by necromancy, which seems to be a theme. <laughs> Just ask Seamus. <laughs> it's almost like if you go against
0: the natural order of things, you are uh, experiencing hubris and your brain will begin to melt from it.
1: Yeah, you know. But yeah,
0: I, I, I agree with you as far as, again, it's a good story overall it is the
1: same oh hold on yeah hold on also adding adding to this like there's some things you miss just from an audio format looking at the actual chronicle Mm -hmm. there are blood stains over killjoy's internal monologue oh that's fantastic and they're they're not anywhere else within the rest of the the actual story so just at the end of this this story there's just Killjoy's little internal monologue, and there are very specifically bloodstains splattering this last part of the pages. So,
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I will have to, to read with my eyeballs as well as my ears next time yeah, we even, do one of
1: these. There's, there's some good storytelling they did with just the actual artistic direction and pages of these, the Chronicles, that I think could be missed without actually downloading them and looking at them.
0: Which again, they're free on drive-thru. Go
1: do that. Also this also this like first edition art of Nina is kind of adorable. <laughs> but that's yeah, again, tangent. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's a good call out. I would say I have the same kind of feeling of the story as you on that front of It's really good overall, but it does have that war game story feel of whatever the stakes are. Nothing really changed,
1: and yeah. which I mean, as 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 a story, it it achieved it achieves its purpose. Yeah, it demonstrates this this war game setting. It literally it literally pits two boxes of this game plus Killjoy against each other in a narrative format without disrupting the order of the actual narrative. That works well. As an actual story, it's it's got some weaknesses because of that, but it achieves its goal, which can be applauded on its own right without redshirting some Ortegas, basically. <laughs> if only they had
0: some cheap minions that they don't need.
1: Well, uh, they'll have to wait till second edition for
0: that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and overall, like that's the the plot armor argument is not something weird can normally be cannot normally be thrown at their feet uh as far as like the the plot not moving forward compared to to 40k like the plot moves forward (laughs) like we got a whole new governor general now
1: (laughs) yeah and fucking nicodem's dead yep finally (laughs) loath is in a hole (sighs) shit shit certainly has changed since we started this little adventure yeah and i with as much as as I know,
0: people miss like the Dead Man's Handmasters. I applaud Weird for making those changes.
1: Yeah, uh, from from a narrative perspective, it's it's strong. It's a strong move to make.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I hope they keep doing it in the future. Especially now that they have uh, the other side as well as through the breach and Malifaux to play with. Like, there's a lot of movement you can do. Just this person's not available in Malifaux, whatever edition, because they're over in the other side now, or, you know, maybe they're in a bucket because lady J got a hold of them or (laughs) you've been souped. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, I, I super enjoy this. And as you said, with this, you could literally as running a, a demo, you could pick up these two boxes, read this story and put, those crews on the table and kind of use this story as a way to walk people through how the game works.
1: Yeah. Like that, that even that it, that's the thing is it even still holds up. Yeah. Which is nice. It like, it still holds up as a narrative piece for what the game is currently. And that, that, that definitely shows some strength to it. Yeah.
0: For as much as things will change at this point between not one, but two editions, the, dna that runs through the game and the two and a half editions two and a half editions there you go uh the dna that runs through the game game games at this point as well as the world and the storytelling itself is inseparable and that's one of the big strengths of of this whole system cool i think that's about all we had to say on this one unless you had more
1: um no i think that's really about all i had and i mean obviously this one will be shorter than Hopefully, future ones if people like this, because we'll have a bit more to cover. Because we obviously don't need to go through Malifaux background again.
0: <laughs> I mean, again, we'll be talking from nightmares, and we'll have a whole new yeah. level of
1: that to go through. Yeah, that, that's a whole that's a whole different ballpark, honestly. Yeah, um, I I super this, enjoyed it. Not nothing in nothing in the actual chronicles, the first chronicles uh, issue of Malifaux background hasn't been already covered a million times by us, by Breachside Broadcast, by, yeah, it's, it's been covered. We know, we know how this universe was born. Um, but yeah, so nice, nice to take a look at, you know, Seamus and Perdita in a little, uh, little, little side, little side story. And I look forward to looking at more of these.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, dear listeners, if you enjoyed this or had thoughts of how we can improve, such as not have the two of us talk as much, uh, but that's never <laughs> going to happen, best of luck. We do appreciate your feedback. And uh, let us know what you thought of the episode and what you thought of the story after you go read it.
1: Yeah, we all we all know Roman has his chatty written on his card. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you enjoyed this, you know. Um, let us know either on Facebook or the discord or, you know, join the Patreon.
0: Yeah. Then we'll say nice <laughs> and totally true things about you on Friday. We night will. Fodown.
1: Yeah. Next time we do a Friday night photo on, we will say nice and definitely not made up things that you have definitely done unless you're Eli Greeson, in which case we will nine times out of 10 probably say something mean, but Eli Greeson already a Patreon. So you already cousin. know whether or not we'll say nice things. If you are related to Nate, we will say mean things about you. That is probably true. Yes. Anyway, although I don't, I don't know of any of my other relatives who had Patreon Steam Power Scoundrels. But if you do, if you're out there, one, let me know that we've been missing out on this Malifaux connection, family, and two, donate to the Patreon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, with that, I would say let's call it here. I won't steal Doug's tagline, but uh, for this one, I would say the story's the thing and get to reading them.
1: The story's the thing and get to reading them. That's a tagline now.
0: Sure, we'll <laughs> go with that. Now, nah, we'll, we'll get snappier <laughs> later. The chatty is strong here and I can't think on my feet. That
1: <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Night. Songs used in this production are Villainous Treachery and Five Card Shuffle. All music is created by Kevin MacLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.